Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, kids, uh, how, how the hell are you? Uh, good to see you. Uh, I am me and you are you. Thanks for uh, joining us today on Just a Game. Um, I'm really actually um, kind of jazzed about today's show. Uh, we have been rather hockey heavy for a while, not to say we won't be talking about uh, the greatest game in the whole world, uh, but we'll be talking about some baseball today and, and some other things. Actually, one of my true passions, which is uh, sports media and the business of sport. Um, because I think there's a lot of really important things going on there. Having said all of that, welcome to the show. We are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Nation. And as well, this is an inclusive program. Everybody is welcome here. Uh, a lot of craziness in the world right now. Uh, we are, are seeing it in our own province. So uh, for those who may be um, finding this podcast for the first time or who are listening from northern Alberta who are impacted by the, the fires, and everything that's going on up there. Of course, we're, we're thinking about you and, and hopefully we can do things to help you. Uh, this is a great time for us to rally around our neighbors and, and our province. Um, I will say this. I'm getting a wee bit ticked off with the tinfoil hat brigade. You guys can get the hell out of Dodge now. 
you didn't serve any purpose a year ago, you didn't serve any purpose during COVID, and you haven't served any purpose for the last 20 or 30 years. So take your little conspiracy theories and dawdle on home because you're useless. Anyway, that's how I'm going to choose to start today's program. Speaking of useless, speaking of useless, my predictions, my predictions, uh, getting into uh, round number two, uh, it looked like Toronto, who slayed a, a dragon, a, uh, got a monkey off its back by beating Tampa in six games. Um, it just looked to me like um, they were going to, you know, take off, right? Uh, Edmonton, uh, who at times just look like they're on a completely different plane than everybody. But here we are, starting tonight. The two the two Canadian teams are in action, and both are trailing in their series. Um, don't think Toronto's coming back against the Florida Panthers. Uh, the Panthers have won six in a row. Look like they're pushing all the right buttons. Uh, Edmonton, on the other hand, I'm not. They're at home tonight. Um, you know. Uh, they, they can go off just as easily for five or six goals again. Um, I just, after that whole series against LA and the position they were put in, in the one game where they were down three, nothing after the first, I just think they're an over uberly confident team. And quite honestly, I think at least on the West still regardless, and I, until they lose, I still think they're the best team in the West, but let's just all establish that my predictions, my ability to foretell the future completely useless, completely useless. Uh, elsewhere, Carolina's going to roll on Jersey. That one, yeah, I had a little hiccup, an 8-4 loss on the weekend, but um, last night, 6-1, uh, just blew it open in the third or in the second period. Um, <clears throat> there is no more goaltending miracle in, in uh, Jersey. Uh, Carolina, despite missing a, a team's worth or at least a lineup's worth of stars, no Max Pacioretty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, still find a way. And we are living in the golden age of analytics, are we not? Are We are absolutely living in the golden age of statistics and data because not in a month of Sundays would I give it a tinker's darn uh, about Jordan Martinuk and his very quiet uh, first round. But Lord help us all. There's Martinuk. Uh, who's now, I believe, either tied or set the new NHL mark for being shut out in the first round and point production in the second or shut out in a previous round and point production in the next. So you've got some terrific, terrific storylines. Meanwhile, uh, the local hockey heroes, um, not a lot to talk about that hasn't been talked about, I think. Uh, Toffoli, Lucic, and Uyghur are wearing letters. Toffoli, the captain for uh, Canada over at the NIT tournament, or if you will, the World Hockey Championships. Um, so hopefully that draws a little attention. Who doesn't like morning hockey? I got to be honest with you. Who doesn't like getting up at nine 30 and watching hockey? It's the best. Um, so we'll be watching that for the next couple of weeks. Not a whole lot to report on the search for a general manager, Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnston, Frank Saravelli, the, the insiders, if you will, uh, all pointing to the same thing. Interviews are taking place as we speak. Um, I have no reason to think, think that the, uh, the two internal candidates, uh, Craig Conroy and Brad Pascal, aren't at the top of the list. Nothing to indicate that, but, you know, we shall see. And then I guess locally, uh, some playoff action that we should talk about as we head into the weekend. Uh, the Wranglers will host Coachella Valley in a best of five games, one and two here on Thursday and Friday in the city. I hope that we get a lot of people out for that. And the Roughnecks, speaking of Thursday, uh, they play uh, our good friend, Andrew McBride. 
Remember, McBride was in the studio from the Colorado Mammoth. So, so was, I guess, in fairness, so was Mike Board, the general manager of the Roughnecks. So we got friends on both sides of this. Uh, but anyway, I, I believe it's in Denver on Thursday and then in Calgary on Saturday, and then they'll play again next week if it goes beyond. It's the best of three. Uh, so we do have weekend lacrosse here. It's a busy, busy, busy time uh, in the old building. It, and I mean the old building. Uh, no news there either as we are stuck here in the middle of a uh, an election with uh, the building kind of. Uh, nobody wants to say it, but kind of hanging in the balance here. <clears throat> I still think it's, you know, if if the the other side gets in or whatever, however we're you know, the lefties, the righties, whatever we're talking about, the UCP, the NDP, the UCP's idea, the NDP get in. Do they scrub it? Do we get a building? Who, who knows? Um, my optimism is fair to Midland. I'll go with fair to Midland. But we've already, in fairness, we have already established in the brief period that this program has been on the air that my predictions are useless. So let's let's continue on with that. Uh, we are live today. In the Oodle Noodle studio, we're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest. And if you're in Airdrie, 105 Main Street North, pickup and delivery. I uh, really was excited because uh, I wanted to, we had our next guest on real early in our, in our, in the start of this show. And it was a lot of fun. Um, he, he, he gets to talk passionately, passionately about one of the things that I like, which is the business of sport and media and the intersection and, and the future, really the innovation and, and things that like, uh, things that happen. So, uh, we are courtesy of the ski seller, snowboard, ski seller, snowboard.com 76 years in Calgary, three locations, McLeod trail by Chinook center, 17th Avenue, Southwest, just off of 14th street, Bow Ridge road, Northwest, uh, by the McDonald's just down from Winsport. Very excited. From Playmaker Capital, sports media analyst Adam Seaborn was kind enough to make some time for us again here today. Adam, a pleasure to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm good, Rob. How are you doing? I am good, um, but I'm out west and I'm south of where all the action is. I think you're right smack dab in the middle of where everything's going on right now. Um, tell me a little bit about the Toronto Maple Leaf story in context of the world and the people that you interact with. Yeah, well, listen, it is a it's a game day here in Toronto. Despite the Oilers jersey behind me, I, I'm I'm plumply here in our Toronto uh, Toronto office in Midtown. Um, it's a game day in Toronto. I think a lot of people are expecting this might be the last game day for a while. Um, it, it's amazing. I was looking, you know, one of our other shows in our network, and Rob, we should we should say that you know, Playmakers, the parent company of just Absolutely. Game Flames Nation, and yep. uh, in our in our Toronto network, the Leafs Nation, uh, we have a morning show with uh, Jay Rosehill and Nick Alberga. Fantastic stuff for Leaf fans to check out. Called uh, Leafs Morning Take, and uh, on May, I think. Third, uh, we had a, uh, a great show, and the clip for that show on YouTube was, are the Maple Leafs primed for a deep run in the playoffs? Are they going to the cup final? That was the title of the show. Uh, two days ago, we have, what happened to the Maple Leafs? They've collapsed in historic fashion again. So it's amazing how quick the narrative can turn here in Toronto. Um, I, I blame no one but the team. Uh, there was a little <laughs> bit of uh, back and forth with Mitch Marner in the media yesterday saying he doesn't listen to the negative stories the media talk about. Yeah. Uh, probably outing himself as someone who does listen to uh, to what's going on in the media. But I think the mood here in Toronto was, uh, you know, nerves going into the first round. A lot of people in the city of Toronto did not pay attention to the regular season. I mean, the reality is, is that anecdotally, I know from season ticket holders, I know from people who generally were going down to the rink all the time, 
there was a, a real, you know, lack of excitement about the team during the regular season because they were good. Everyone knew they were good. Yep. Um, no one cared about, you know, anyone getting individual records. People were just like, show me what you can do in the playoffs. And by January, it was obvious they were going to play Tampa. Uh, Tampa or Boston for a bit, but it was pretty certain one of those two teams with the new format. And then they end up you know, getting locked into the Tampa series. Okay. Rematch with Tampa. Great opportunity. And to everyone's surprise, they win in six, yeah. you know, amazingly uh, they monkey off the back uh, city was elated. It wasn't quite 2019 Raptors championship level excitement mm-hmm. downtown, but it was, it was, you know, streets packed cars, honking bars full. Like it was as, as busy a Saturday night as I can remember in Leafland. Uh, and here we are, you know, less than two weeks later, yep. and people are have written the team off. So the emotions have swung dramatically, uh, and expectations, you know, are, are pretty low, I think, at this point. I think people have written them off. If they can make a series out of this, if they can come back here in Game 7, I think, again, all bets are off. You're going to see another giant roller coaster swing for the Leafs. Um, but it, it's been, you know what, a pretty exciting spring that we haven't had in Toronto in a long time. Let's talk about the business of this, though. What does that do to rights holders? What does that do to ancillary media companies? I mean, just the fact the Leafs being in is a boon for the media industry in this in this country. So what are we talking about in terms of the financial impact of this team? Yeah, I think a lot of people in Western Canada are sick of hearing about the Leafs. Uh, TSN, the Toronto Sports Network, as people sure. like to call it, Sportsnet covers the Leafs you know, with a fine-tooth comb, and they, they probably don't do a good enough job covering other markets. But the reason they do that is that, one, the population of the country is such that if you scrape out Quebec, English-speaking Canada, more than half of it lives in the Maple Leaf region, right? Yep. Within a couple hundred yep. kilometers downtown Toronto, that Golden Horseshoe area. Yep. And it's it's the straw that stirs the drink in terms of revenue, right? So if you go out there and you are a you know media company, let's say Sportsnet, for example, and you pay a boatload of money, maybe $5.5 billion or so for uh, the rights to the broadcast games, you're doing that with the expectation that a team like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, one of the Canadian teams, but really Toronto is going to make a deep run. And I saw you guys just flash that, uh, that, that tweet that I had on the board. The reason why it's so important is that, the audience that watched the Toronto game it is just frankly about double the size of what you're going to get anywhere else in English Canada. Quebec's different, but you got to split the rights with TVA there and you get half people watching English, half people watching French. So there's a little bit of uh, fragmentation with Toronto. If you're sports you own the whole thing and every night you're getting double the audience you're going to get from any other Canadian team, which means double the ad revenue, mm-hmm. um, but not just double the ad revenue. It's double the uh, kind of excitement from big brands. The reality is that most big companies in Canada are headquartered in Toronto. Yeah. There's a chance that you go into a boardroom of any big company in Canada, one person on the board of directors, one person in the C-suite, they are Toronto Maple Leaf fans. They're going to be down at the rink for a Leaf game. It's very easy to sell them a multi-million dollar advertising package. So from an economic standpoint, you know, deals like this are critical when you sign rights agreements, right? Every single broadcaster yep. in Canada, the U.S., you sign on hoping that you're going to get an opportunity to leverage those rights and make a little bit of money on it. And, you know, Rogers calculus was that if we get these rights and we, we get a Maple Leaf run, we're going to be able to leverage that into a big revenue opportunity. And they have not gotten it. And we're getting to the tail end of that deal. That deal started in 2014. It was, a, you know, it, if you can't believe it, it feels like just yesterday that, that deal happened and it shook around the world, but we're getting into the back third of that deal. And yet again, they don't have a leaf uh, series. So, you know, the, the number one thing is, is making sure series go long. Seven games is always better than four. 
Yep. Uh, but having big markets like the Leafs in there are huge. So we're talking, I mean, to give like raw numbers on it, multi-million dollars in additional ad revenue every single additional Leaf game that happens, like net new revenue coming in. Uh, and that's just for the broadcaster, which, listen, I don't think a lot of people care too much how much money the broadcaster is making. The economic impact on the city is real as well. You know, mm-hmm. you have tourism, you have bars and restaurants, you have um, just general kind of excitement in the city uh, around the Leafs. Uh, and I think that that economic impact can be hard to measure the same way you can measure ad revenue, but it is important. What's the ancillary um, effect on, I don't know, uh, the, 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 uh, the hockey market, I guess. And, and by that, I, I'm beginning to, beginning to think I understand this a little bit more, that if there's a hangover in Toronto, if there's a hangover on Bay Street, that could impact other Canadian teams, right? The hangover spreads across the country. So not only are most of the headquarters of the big brands that spend a lot of money on sports advertising in Canada, most of the big ad agencies are in Toronto as well. Most big publishing companies are in Toronto as well. And, you know, if if you spend a lot of money against sports, maybe against the Maple Leafs over the last few years, and it keeps being, you know, your brand is being tied to moments of disappointment. Your brand is, is lining up for something that never executes there's going to be kind of a strategic thinking that maybe sports media and sports marketing isn't that good an investment for us. You know, maybe our bank or maybe our food delivery company or maybe our whatever doesn't need to uh, align ourselves with sports. Maybe there's other areas within the culture that are better fit. And all of a sudden, ad dollars from Calgary or from Vancouver or, you know, Edmonton start going away just because the hangover in Toronto is spilled. So I think that's an acute point, Rob, that, you know, Toronto agenda for the rest of the country. What are we in, in while we're having this conversation? Let's let's talk a little bit about who is buying ads nowadays. Who's still buying traditional? Now, in fairness to Rogers and Bell, they're not necessarily selling only traditional ads. They're into the digital market as well. But where who's buying the ads and, and what ads are being bought at the at the biggest rates right now? Yeah. So so the big so right now. Okay, if you look at the Canadian ad market right so Mm -hmm. forget sports for a second just think about advertising about one in three dollars spent on advertising in canada still goes into television that's a high percentage you know television does not have the same reach that digital has if you just look at google and amazon and facebook who are the three largest advertising companies in the world and they eat up a high majority of the digital ad market um tv gets its unfair share i would say of ad dollars in the country given its current reach and, and how little reach it has compared to what it used to have it still has lots of reach. Don't get me wrong. TV yep. reaches a lot of people. We all watch news and we all watch sports, but not nearly the same amount it used to. The people who are buying ads uh, are, are the same people who've been buying ads for, for quite a long time against sports. Um, you know, if we look sports specifically, there's a very good chance you're trying to target a, uh, a young male demo. So you're mm-hmm. going to see the same kind of three categories that you've seen since the history of advertising. You're going to see automotive people yep. wanted to get you to buy your first truck or your first car. You'll see Ford, Chevrolet, Honda, Hyundai, you name it. Uh, and those auto dealers, they think in terms of like a customer life cycle. So, you know, a lot of people think advertising and they think like come down to the store, nine ninety nine, two for one sale. It's a BOGO stuff like that. That is a part of advertising. That's that performance piece. Um, but the, the sports and television really relies on brand advertising and brand advertising rarely has a metric of performance tied to it. You're not saying, well, I ran $10 million of Ford ads and did I move $10 million worth of Ford cars? You're thinking that if I can get, 
a 22 year old or 27 year old or 30 year old, if I can get their first car to be a Ford F-150, then mm-hmm. I've got a customer for life. And now they're in my CRM, my customer database. Yep. Now when they have a family and they need to buy a minivan or they're going to look to us or one of our cars. Now when they get older and they have children, are they going to buy their kid? Their first car might be a Ford or get them involved. They're going to become a customer for life. And banks are the exact same. So you're going to see auto. You're going to see banks as well. If I can get someone's first credit card or their first checking account or their first mortgage, there's a very good chance that that is a customer for life. You know, how often do people move from one of the five big banks? Right. I mean, again, banks and automotive, in a lot of ways, they're kind of commodities. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, people who are into cars are going to disagree with me. But if you go into the same <laughs> class of vehicle, is there a big difference between a Toyota Tundra and a Ford F-150 and a Chevy Tahoe? I have no idea. I'm not a truck person. Yeah. But to me, they're all about the same price. You're going to have the same APR financing, whatever, with all those brands. Same is true with Scotiabank or CIBC or TD. I mean, the banking products are roughly the same with all of them. So it's a it's a game of getting people into the ecosystem and knowing that you might have a customer for life. And and sports are an amazing way to spend that kind of money. Uh, I mean, I've been with TD since I was a child because my parents were with TD. And when I was like 12 years old, they opened sure. me up a kid's checking account. And yep. that's the same account I've had my entire life. And guess what? When I had a mortgage, it went with them as well. So uh, that kind of long tail brand marketing, those are the people that are spending big money on sports, right? So right now on sports TV, you're going to see those two categories. The last one's QSRs. And they are much more focused on the, the next meal up. So QSRs, quick serve restaurants. Think about um, stuff like McDonald's, Tim Hortons, Wendy's, Burger King, Harvey's. You'll see every single one of the brands I just named in uh, tonight's Oilers game and tonight's Leaf game. Every one of those brands is going to be running an ad. I promise you that. Pizza, yep. pizza, pizza 73. You're going to see all of those as well. They're much more focused on the today and now. Uh, but their core demo is like a young you know, predominantly male purchaser. That's who wants to get against sports. So, but it, do those same rules apply across the board or is that television and what, if not, what's digital advertising showing us about sports? That, that, that is television. Um, and it, it, for the most part, it does carry to other channels, but when you get into the digital space, look at things like podcast, digital mm-hmm. video, social, that's where the, um, the base of advertiser gets a lot more broad and no one category really owns, like really owns the market the same way. Uh, I'll encourage everyone who's listening right now, when you watch the Oilers game or the Leaf game or whatever you're, you know, game you're watching tonight, in every ad break, just watch it and see if you can count. I bet you you're going to be able to count a quick serve restaurant uh, and a financial service and automotive and probably a sports betting operator. Those are probably the four or five maybe categories you're going to see in every single ad break. You can experience the internet and not see any of those brands at all um, because the internet's so much more democratized. You're also going to see a lot more um, new brands venture into new mediums. You know, podcasting is still really in its infancy as a medium uh, mm-hmm. from an ad market perspective. People who listen to this on, on different programs are going to see, you know, obviously ads that we have baked into the show, local ads that support you, like Oodle Noodle uh, and the Ski Seller Snowboard. But you're going to also see, uh, you know, things like Athletic Greens. You're going to see yeah. things like BetterHelp. You're going to see things like Peloton. These direct-to-consumer, you know, Casper Mattress or Cozy and brands like that. You're going to see those kind of newer age digital first brands that probably don't have the budgets for television, but also they are focused on that performance, focused on a younger consumer. So they're really who's playing in the digital space. So it was only a couple of years ago. And I know the last time you visited, we briefly talked about, you know, the impact that the gambling has had, especially on sports. But the one we didn't talk about, nobody seems to talk about now. 
how big a void has crypto left in the advertising world? Because for a while there, it was, you know, a huge player, right? Listen, I think um, there was a time where between FTX and crypto.com, you could not find a sport that one of the two of them wasn't involved in, right? FTX, which now is hilarious to think if you've read the news on what's happened with FTX over the last year, they were on every single Major League Baseball umpire sleeve, right? Before they were even regulated in most of those markets, they were never regulated in Canada. Um, They were on there. You had crypto.com arena. It's still crypto.com arena in LA. You had FTX in Miami. They peeled the name off it, but they don't have a new name in Miami. I don't think yet. So crypto was this big boom uh, of opportunity. Uh, the Super Bowl, not last year, but the year before, had something like seven different crypto ads, each paying between five and seven million for their advertising time. This last year, there was none. Uh, so that was a pretty big flash in the pan. I can't really remember a last time that a category like that showed up and then disappeared. The only maybe, you know, comparison that people have brought up is the 2000.com bubble where mm-hmm. every single uh brand decided that all of a sudden they were whatever brand.com you know Pets. William Sonoma was it was right. really at yeah, pest.com William Sonoma.com right. yeah. and then yeah. also there was you know Enron was historically right. a big one where they were naming the ballpark in, in Houston and and that was a uh, was short-lived when Enron blew up but that was more fraud than the category exploded um so yeah crypto's left a pretty big hole to be honest in the sports marketing um but you know, when I think about the entire ad market, t- so in Canada, I, just looking at March over March, TV's down, radio's down, uh, mm-hmm. newspapers down, digital's up, digital videos up, out of homes up, uh, out of home being like billboards and stuff. But that's up kind of artificially because it was so far down during the pandemic. There was no out of home being spent, so yeah. maybe uh, you know, net net, it's maybe about flat. Um, but that's for the entire ad market. If you look at sports, sports is up and to the right. Because in our culture, uh, sports is the only thing now, maybe not the only thing, but one of very few things that are really a monoculture. The mm-hmm. biggest you know, entertainment television program 30, 40 years ago would reach 20, 30, 40 million households a night in the U.S. There's nothing that reaches even close to that now in the U.S. There is no single show, even if you think of you know, uh, you know, know, House of the Dragon, which was the, the new Game of Thrones show on HBO. Yeah. You think about a lot of people watch that new show, The Last of Us. People are watching shows like Succession or shows like Yellowstone, those are all fractions of what old television shows used oh, to do from a reach yeah. perspective. Yeah. But sports is still hitting records. You saw the NBA hit a you know 25-year record where Steph Curry put up 50 in the first round. Uh, you've seen the NHL hit records in the U.S. this year with TNT and ESPN. In Canada, we're not quite record-hitting with the NHL, but uh, we're certainly like up on par with any NHL ratings that have existed over the last 20 years. So sports is still hitting the same amount of viewers that it's always hit and everything else is down. So on a relative basis, sports is even more valuable than it used to be. So you can start charging a premium for that advertising time, a premium for partnerships. And we've gotten a lot better. And by we, I mean the sports media industry mm-hmm. at monetizing sports, you know, go back again, 30 years, Rink boards, digital rink boards. I know a lot of people hate the digital rink boards. They are a yield increase for the NHL. There are now jersey patches. There are helmet patches. You know, you go into – I was at an NFL game last year, and not a single moment of the in-arena experience was not brought to you by a brand of some kind. You know, the half from a halftime shot to a seventh inning stretch to a okay, mm-hmm. uh, when Stompin' Tom Connors comes out at the ACC or the Scotiabank Arena, you're going to get uh, an ad on either side of that. And you're going to have the official food delivery and the official this and that. Every single category has been sold through in sports uh, in a way that it wasn't 30 years ago, not because 
listen, not, I'm not going to give sports owners and leagues, uh, let them off the hook necessarily. I think there are cases where it is pretty pervasive and maybe not good for the fan experience. Yeah. But the reality is, is that they're getting demand. They're having people knock on their door and say, I want to be involved with the Calgary Flames. What can I do to be the official whatever of the Flames? And, you know, these are for-profit businesses. They've done a good job monetizing it. And these ad dollars have to go somewhere. You know, if you're an auto company, you got to advertise somewhere. And if there's no more entertainment to auto advertise in and, you know, the music radio station doesn't carry the same weight that it used to in the market and nobody's mm-hmm. reading the newspaper or there, maybe there isn't even a newspaper in your market anymore, where else can you go? Well, you know, if there is an NHL team in Winnipeg, I can sponsor that. So yeah. the ad dollars have continued to go up in sports and I don't see it slowing down. Well, you kind of touched on it. I was going to ask about saturation. Because I think you get to a point where, uh, you know, you can go to a game and come back and I, nothing, something needs to cut through, right? And is that not, is saturation and, and a situation like this not the leader to innovation? That somebody's going to come up with something that has to be unique, that has to grab your attention? Because every, there is too much. Uh, there absolutely is. I think what it's challenged advertisers do when it comes to sport is getting a lot more focused in on niches mm-hmm. as opposed to being able to do what, you know, it used to be not that difficult to, to do a media plan for a big brand in Canada. You could say, okay, I'm going to buy, you know, Hockey Night Canada ads. I'm going to buy some, you know, national newspaper with the Star, the Post, and the Sun. Done. I'm going to buy, you know, the top three radio stations in every market. Problem solved. You can't do that now. And the saturation around sport is definitely uh, a factor for you. It's really hard to get exclusivity uh, the same way you used to, unless you're baked in. If you're a new brand coming in, you're not going to get a category exclusivity or own a whole segment. Um, so you have to get into these micro sport or micro influencers, as people call them. So, you know, look at how much money is going into pickleball. If people haven't looked into it, there's a professional pickleball circle now, circuit now, and it's sponsored, you know, it's totally sponsored. I think brought to you, uh, uh, Carvana is really heavily involved yep. in the car delivery company in the U.S. Uh, there are celebrity owners of these teams. You know, there is a, a micro kind of audience for for that. You've seen the same thing with golf has been growing. There's a lot more sponsorship in golf now. Mm-hmm. Um, small creators in big sports, you know, I'll use this show, Rob, as an example. You know, this is not a show that reaches tens of millions of people every week. Sure does. But it reaches a very core <laughs> yeah. group of people who are homogenous. They are easy for an advertiser to understand. These are men predominantly they're not all men but it is a male skew when it comes to sports um it is you know people who are probably local if they're listening to your show probably local to to calgary or maybe local to edmonton or maybe they're expats who tune in they want us to know what's going on but they're likely local uh and they're interested in sport right so you have already three really big narrowing down for an advertiser uh it's going to be a lot more cost effective to run some advertising and be a sponsor of a show like this or another mm-hmm. podcast out there than it is to try to find this audience elsewhere. So advertisers have gotten into this more micro targeting in terms of their ad spend, which is actually really democratized the media for a lot of people where no longer do you need to have the masthead name of a big publisher, a big radio station in order to a get attention from fans. That's fantastic. That's easy, but also get attention from advertisers because at the end of the day, the advertisers were never buying it because it said the New York Times at the top or because it said TSN on the masthead. They were buying it because TSN meant that you had a male audience. Well, if the male audience is elsewhere, I'll buy it elsewhere. I don't really give a crap about who's publishing it. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about static advertising in sports. As you know, we're going down the path of finally getting a building here in Calgary. Is naming rights... Where's the, you know, because that's one that, you know, naming rights is not an everyday thing, right? It only comes up every once in a while. 
The last time we heard about naming rights was a pretty significant deal, I believe, in Toronto. Um, you know, with the renaming of the very, building there. very significant deal at, at the time, the largest deal in pro sport, I think globally, if not in, in North America. So yeah. I, and I believe I don't want to talk out of school, but I believe it's a $40 million a year deal it's, for 10 it's years. Something I believe it's a $400 like million dollar deal. Yeah. Now, there's probably a little bit of, um, Probably a little bit of moving around there with Scotiabank because there's probably some corporate banking elements with MLSC where MLSC's got a lot of corporate banking needs. I'm sure Scotiabank is now their corporate bank. There's probably some savings there. There's probably some advertising changing hands because MLSC is owned by Rogers and Bell. So that $40 million might not really be a purely for the naming rights. There may be some other considerations in there. I'm not privy to that deal. Um, but... Yes. Listen, naming rights. Okay. To me, Rob, if I was advising a brand and there's a a number of agencies that do this globally, people like Oakview Group or IMG um, and some some groups here in Toronto, Cimarroni. uh, If I was them, I would say that naming the new building in Calgary is the best investment you could make for your brand if you're planning to be investing in sport. And I think that if you are, again, any automotive company, if you're any bank, if you're an insurance company, or if you're like a brand that's maybe not in that traditional space, but you want to make a name for yourself, this could be one of the easiest checks to sign because you're going to get all the paid media elements and all the great data that you get from owning a building. They're going to share with you who comes to that building. Every time someone comes to that building, gets a ticket, your brand's associated with it. You're going to be associated with concerts and hopefully Mm -hmm. Stanley cup championships and, and a number of things like that. There's that whole element to it, but there's also the, as I talked about earlier, you are now the name of really the only meeting place that people have in a modern Canada in a way that they didn't have in the past. Go back 50 years. We were a more secular society. People would you sure know, gather in churches and communities yeah. more. To me, sport in the arena has replaced that community gathering for a lot of people. When you are someone new who moves to Calgary, the way to get indoctrinated into Calgary's community is to go to a Flames game, become a Flames fan. And you go to a store, you're going to see a Flames jersey hanging in the back window. That is like the real cultural touchstone of the city now in a way that, again, it wasn't. Yes, the Flames were huge you know, 30 years ago, but they mm. were also kind of on a hierarchy of other things that were important. Yep. Now I think that sport and in Canada, the NHL and hockey, and, and the Blue Jays to an extent, and in Toronto the Blue Jays have that feel, and in certain parts of Toronto the Raptors as well. Yep. But I would say that in, in, in most of Canada, the NHL team in your market is the cultural touchstone that everyone can kind of agree on. You know, it is the place that you gather and it is a it is a an opportunity for kind of a shared experience. And if I was a brand advertiser and I'm I'm trying to reach people, that is a no brainer place to be associated with. You know, you can't buy the naming rights to the church, but you can buy the naming rights to the next best thing. What I mean, I'm not asking you for a dollar figure, but (laughs) what so if that being the case, I mean, are we talking about something that's, you know, closer to seven figures than it is to six figures? Definitely. Yeah. This is a seven figure plus deal, multi-year deal. If I was, you know, Calgary and I was a flames ownership group, I would be looking for the the best, best case scenario to me is at least a 10 year term. Okay. It's going to be a new building. It's going to take time to break in. Uh, and we know that it takes a while for people to get accustomed to new names. Sometimes the new name never catches on. And that I, I think is also a, a consideration. You got to be careful with how you go about naming. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, of uproar when the gardens shut down in Toronto and it mm-hmm. became the Air Canada Center. Yeah. I actually think the Air Canada Center is a fantastic name. The ACC was a great acronym. People still call it the ACC by accident. Scotiabank Arena, SBA has not caught on, but it's a 10-year deal. It slowly will. Okay. Uh, Skydome. 
People still call it well, Skydome. Exactly, it has not right? been Skydome for 10 plus years, right? Uh, you know, I think what they've done in Boston, which was smart, is when they named the garden the TD Garden, they kept that garden acronym in there, or that, that garden suffix in there. Um, so people still refer to it as the TD Garden. Uh, the old Montreal Forum, Le Centre Bell, I don't know how that one's gone. I think that's probably a, a bit of a win. Bell is, you know, headquartered in Montreal. It's a real Canadian company. It's a Montreal company. I think that that is important too. So, you know, best case scenario for the Flames is something that feels authentic to uh, Calgary, feels authentic to the Flames, someone who we know is supporting sport. You know, I would look, you know, beer, automotive, Mm -hmm. financial. Um, And then ideally for the brand, you're looking for, I'd say a long-term deal, 10 plus years. And I think you'd be lucky to get away with paying just seven figures a year. I mean, mid seven figures, I think is what you should be paying for such a important part of it. Now there might be, there's a lot of production elements that go into it too, right? I when, remember when the Air Canada Center was getting renamed to Scotiabank Arena, talking to someone in the know about that. And they said, just go down there and look at the signage. And everywhere from Union Station in Toronto, walking into the Air Canada Center, there was tens of thousands of little air Canada logos everywhere and signage and every single seat had an air Canada emblem on it. Changing that out into a new brand to Scotiabank was a huge project that took multiple years. When you're building a new building, you don't have to deal with changing it out, but you still need to do build in these elements. You're going to have the, let's say it becomes this, the Scotiabank, you know, yep. barn in, in Calgary, maybe it will become, you're going to have the Scotia club there and you're going to have the seats all named that you maybe have the Scotia section. Um, all of that is, is worth quite a bit too. And having a long-term deal so you can let those elements grow and people have a relationship with them is, is critical. We were talking about saturation before within the game. And I, I remember going to the Staples Center when it first opened. And one of the, I guess, uh, things about the Staples Center is they limited it to something like 10 advertisers total, right? Exclusivity. Is there an opportunity here for the Flames to kind of take a page out of that book rather than you know making it a NASCAR saying, hey, if you want in... <laughs> Right. I, I, it's, it, listen, I think it would behoove them to try to do that. Uh, I think sometimes the owners see dollar signs and uh, it, it's hard to turn away money. Sure and it is. Uh, it's a poor, it's a for profit business. You're telling me, like, hey, we're, we're not in the business of turning away advertisers. I'll tell you that in Toronto, MLSC is never in the business of turning away someone. If you've got money, whether you're the, you know, dairy farmers of Ontario or yep. you're, Uber or your Scotiabank, we will find a place for you within our marketing mix and within our asset list. We'll find a new category for you. We'll find something for you to sponsor. But I, I think your, your Staples Center example is a good one. I do think that um, something is lost when you have, you know, I, I think having different brands is not a problem. I think despite what people say, yeah. um, and this is this is philosophically, a lot of people claim that they hate advertising, that they really don't like advertising, that, <laughs> that's distracting. And I'm not here to disagree with people on that. I do yeah. think that at times advertising is bad. But I don't think all advertising is bad. I think bad advertising is bad. I think good advertising can be good. It can actually not mm-hmm. just be, okay, it's annoying, to actually being a value add. People right now can think of ads that they've seen that were funny on TV and that they still enjoy to this day are informative. And I think like the ad experience in arena can be an enjoyable one as long as you're not 
kind of taking your audience's attention for granted. I think having competing brands is a huge problem. I think if you have multiple people in one space, so multiple car companies or multiple banks or multiple insurance companies, all of a sudden it feels really, really cheap. It's like, well, what? You're going to, you know, promoting a Scotiabank mortgage in the first period and the second period, it's TD and the third, it's RBC. This just feels like a money grab where, you know, if it, maybe it is Scotiabank who does the thing and they own the whole thing. And they're like, listen, we don't want any advertising to happen in the third period because, you know, that's the, the Scotiabank third period. I think that's a really good idea. And you've seen some examples of this happen uh, in other sport. Masters is the best example. So sure. the Masters yeah. famously uh, is under monetized. They do not run very many ads at all. Uh, they actually tell CBS what the ad load is going to be, which is the only golf tournament that they do that for. And they say, CBS, we want the Masters to be the most premium sports product that there is. And the way that we do that is by selling very few advertisements and by having very few partners. And the partners that they have are long-term. IBM has been a partner of the Masters forever. So has Rolex. So has Mercedes. All luxury brands, all people who spend a lot of money, but also do not hammer you with a lot of advertising. Not everyone has that luxury. Not every no. platform can be like that. But I think it is a very interesting balance between frequency of ads and getting that revenue and you know how authentic the ad feels and really not drowning your audience's attention. In. I mean, I, I think they, they tried it here in Calgary in a unique way with the Roughnecks, with the WestJet field and going with the Teal. They just put the, they put the logos in the wrong place because yeah. you don't see the logos in the highlights. Right. Yeah. Why is it a teal field? I have no idea. But if I see the logo, I go, oh, then it's WestJet. To I me, remember that. That was, yeah. a, I thought that was actually a very innovative idea. I don't know if that was the Roughnecks or WestJet. No, it was the Roughnecks idea. idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Really, yeah. Just put the logos in the wrong place. <laughs> right. Because where do highlights from Roughnecks or where do highlights from lacrosse come from? They come from yeah. the blue line in, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's part of that too. Right. Is, and what you're talking about with the masters and other, there's some experiential stuff to that too, right? Like they get access to some experience stuff and things like that, which is again, how not risk adverse, but how creative do you want to be? Yeah. I think when people think about the advertising, they often just think about the media and the reach, right? It's like, okay, well, 10 million people are going to see this. And I'm going to see it. Listen, when you become a partner of a building like that, the experiential piece is, is as valuable as the rest. Like the, the 15 or 20,000 people that are going into that building, how can you like have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with them as they come in? There's actually mm -hmm. a partnership here in Toronto that I think has been really good. Uh, Entropy, which is a custom clothing brand. They yep. no free ads here on Just a Game, but I'll give them a free shout out. Great, <laughs> great, great company, Entropy. If you'd like to advertise, you know, you can reach out to Jared about exactly. that. Exactly. They, uh, you know, they make all of the towels. When you see those rally towels, they make those. And they might do it for other buildings in the NHL, too. Uh, and they do some of the free hats that they give away in, in Maple Leaf Square where they have the leaf and the milk logo. When you walk in the game, they hand you a towel where it's on your seat already. And they have these big yellow entropy boxes. And they have a little bit of banner advertising and board advertising in the game. But yeah. it, it makes sense. It's tied to the game. It's like, oh, this company Entropy is who gave me this towel. This towel is an important part of the experience of being a fan of the game. I'm always left with a a very positive feeling about the brand but also mm -hmm. i know I, I can know the name of that brand immediately whereas i am sure that there are you know a, a, there's probably a whiskey brand or there's probably a airline that is associated with the team that i have no idea about because they're not tied into the game at all and it just feels like another ad pitch yeah mentioned the building so we talked about the static advertising one of the the i mean i'm i'm complaining because i i want the building so i want i want past that part show me tell me one of the, the suggestions that I think needs to be there is you got to build with an eye to the future. What, what do you see 
as coming down the pipe? What do you, if you were going to be advising a group on a building, what would you be, you know, from your vantage point, your lens, yeah. what would you be advising? I mean, on the actual building, and I'm very curious to see how how the building. It, it seems to have all of a sudden become an election issue. There, it uh, is an election is, issue. Yes, which is which is always which is always interesting when the building becomes an election issue. Um, I, I think that the modern buildings are all very good at being multi-purpose, multi-space without feeling, you know, too corporate. So. Yeah. I think what the Jays have done down at the Rogers Center has been a really good innovation in ballparks. Their ballpark was way behind the times in this. A mm -hmm. lot of their ballparks around, around baseball are doing that. Having these kind of non-seated communal spaces yes. is interesting. Yeah. I think that those are really good. I think that even at um, you know, even in hockey arenas, you have that now. I think actually what they have in Edmonton is fantastic. Those kind of uh they're not quite luxury suites. Loges, uh, I think they call them. Yeah, the loges yeah. that they have where it's yeah. like it's not a luxury suite, but it's not quite a normal seat either. I think those are like these kind of hybrid seating arrangements arrangements are really smart. I would also have an eye towards sports betting. And I think that sports mm -hmm. betting will be in Alberta soon. And I think you don't need to build a sports book into it, but I do think having a non um, game related space, whether that's bars and restaurants and clubs or having something that does have an eye on sports betting is an interesting idea in Toronto. Real sport is not uh, connected to the building. It's right across the road and it's owned by Maple Leaf sports and entertainment as well. Um, it has kind of a sports book feel to it. It has giant TVs. You can yeah. go in there. Now that gambling is legal in Ontario, you can go and place a wager on your phone and watch different games there. And it feels very tied to the rink. It's kind of an obvious, you go there pregame, you go there, their post game i think having uh you know i think with the, the district in, in edmonton has a similar type of feel where they mm -hmm. built uh ancillary stuff that isn't necessarily tied to the in arena experience there's that wayne gretzky club in edmonton as well which i think is a good experience so i think having these kind of um one geared towards sports betting but also these kind of restaurant bar type atmosphere that is uh not tied specifically to watching the game is an important part of a modern building but you don't want to lose a life of the building because I can just hear people saying, well, then it's going to be all these corporate suites. The last thing we want to do is take notes on how to build a hockey rink from Toronto. Toronto's got the worst, you know, in arena experience for players and fans. I don't disagree with you on that. I think there's a hybrid way to do it. I think what Edmonton has done is a really good case study on how to build a, a brand new building that's modern, has modern amenities, but still can feel loud and very imposing and, and, and a fun hockey atmosphere. I get a little nervous when I hear people down here say Edmonton's nice, but it's big. Like it's, there's too much wasted space in it. I'm, I'm one of these guys that was wondering about what AR VR, some of these alternate alternate reality entertainment pieces that are coming out that if you might not want a venue in a city that has just, you know, 10,000 open square feet, to, to put technology into that. That's kind of what I'm wondering all about. That's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation about how augmented reality is going to continue to change hockey. I mean, I like the first example of that, that I've seen in Canada is when they were having the, the player tracking data in Edmonton on the ice and people watching just the player tracking data. I mean, I don't know. I'd love to hear from someone if if you attended that or have any experience with it. You know, reach me, reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you about that. But um, in terms of building a space that's kind of modular from that perspective, it's an interesting thing to consider. I don't know how you necessarily plan for that as you're building. Uh, you'd have to, you know, see what else is going on around the world. But 
modern buildings certainly all have this modular aspect in mind yeah. in terms of being able to, um, you know, you don't just plug in a new event and keep the seating and the experience the same. Uh, when a new event is in there, whether it's a concert or it's a monster truck rally or it's a hockey game or a lacrosse game or a basketball game, have the ability to change the way that the seating is, is built uh, in a relatively easy fashion so that you can host multiple different types of events and events that you maybe never thought of in the future. I mean, when the Air Canada Center was first built, it was built knowing that the Raptors were in town, right? Because the, yep. before that, the Raptors were, were playing at the Sky Dome, and that was pretty bad experience. Uh, when Toronto FC uh, started playing in Toronto, that was a small uh, building built for MLS soccer, uh, but it's gotten quite a bit bigger over the years. It's going to get bigger again now that it's hosting the FIFA World Cup in 2026. But that space has always been good about being modular as well. So I think modern space in Calgary is going to have to be, you know, have the ability to be flexible, but know that your main tenant is the flames. I just wonder, and this is where I get a little wacky. I just wonder how far we are away from fans coming into the building and being able to step right in the middle of a significant game in Calgary Flames history and just walk right through holograms or video or whatever of Lanny McDonald, who looks like he's skating from me over to the wall or, you know, like literally being in the play. It, it, it's a, that's a, it's a fascinating thing. And like, it sounds like science fiction. It sounds like the hollow deck from Star Trek or something crazy. But I, I do think that, um, that, that is not, not a, a far-fetched plan to have in your mind. I do think that, People are going to want to gather in communal spaces, but experience these kind of, you know, three-dimensional, yeah. uh, you know, AR experiences. And there's some of that going on outside of sport too. Like mm-hmm. Disney has some of these interactive 3D experiences right now. I know Marvel has some of those happening across the country in the U.S., like bringing them into theaters and stuff. So it's going to be curious how that works in the sports space. I, to that end, I begin to wonder about when those become portable and those groups decide that they want. Right now, it's really cool to get a Marvel jersey. You know, we'll, we'll do a jersey and, and we'll wear a jersey, but how long until that kind of AR stuff can get moved around and you'll get that experience in your arena for your fans? That, that's where I think it's, you know, and that might be 10 years from now, Adam. I don't know, but I think <laughs> you have to have that eye in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Can't disagree with you on that. All right. A couple of uh, business, uh, business news items before I let you go. Just updates. Um, the last time we spoke, we were talking a lot about the RSN situation, particularly in the United States. Well, mostly in the United States. Um, and part was where are we going to go? Major League Baseball was looking at taking over. Here we are a couple months later. What have we learned about this situation? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of exactly what we thought was going to happen. It's happened, right? So you've had disagreements with the RSNs. You've had them going bankrupt. Uh, and you're going to have – you have these local rights that are up in the air. So uh, it's not just baseball, by the way. It's affecting mm-hmm. basketball in the NHL too. So actually the Golden Knights announced – uh, even though they're still you know, playing hockey games, uh, that next year they have a new uh, regional sports network partnership because their RSN in that market is going bankrupt. It's actually not a regional sports network. They're going on to a broadcast network in Nevada. Uh, Scripps owns some broadcast channels in Nevada, and, and the Golden Knights will be over the air for free on broadcast. An innovative way to do it, and you're going to see, I think, a few more of those. So instead of being on a cable channel in some markets, you're going to be on local broadcast, which would be interesting. All games? Um, not all games. So they're going to have their national package still with TNT and ESPN. Yep. And it looks like their regional games are going to be on this Scripps Sports Partnership. Okay. Okay. But there's also going to be a direct-to-consumer streaming 
piece of that as well. So that if you want to reach it on a smart TV or on your device, you can subscribe directly. Mm. Uh, I believe either directly to script sports or maybe with the team, the details on this have not being announced yet, but then most of their games are going to be free over the air on a, on a, you know, smaller broadcast channel, which is kind of unique. This is going to be an interesting way. I think, um, Pittsburgh has a has a major problem on their hands. They do not have a regional sports partner lined up. Right now, these uh, broadcasters are still broadcasting games, and they're kind of still doing their job through the bankruptcy, but this is not a long-term solution. So, uh, you know, as we speak, there are essentially a bunch of different carve-outs happening. I know that Major League Baseball and the NBA and, and the NHL are all monitoring each one of these uh, regional sports deals, but I don't know if there's going to be – a like a, a one size fits all solution. I don't. I think you're gonna all of a sudden see, you know, this market. It's a streaming package, right? And Nesson Nesson has a streaming package. It's New England Sports Network. Uh, so you're gonna be able to get the games on streaming. MSG in New York, major. Uh, they they have a streaming package. But maybe in Colorado and in Nevada, it's okay. Some of the games are on broadcast TV with this person. Some of them are on Amazon. Some. It's gonna be really fragmented, which I think is actually gonna be pretty bad. Uh, for fans uh, in the short run. But I do think in the long run, this is all going to come to level. We're having a bit of a reckoning in some of this media rights money uh, and some of the sports networks. And it's all, you know, all all this streaming money that was being spent on Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and Fubo and DAZN and all these places. They've lost enough money now. We're having a real reckoning there in in the media business. And it's going to come eventually swing back towards consumers. I think we're actually on that swing right now. People who are, you know, the meme that you would see on social is how many, you know, I got 12 different streaming services. Can you someone just bundle these and put me on cable again? Yeah, that is happening. Trust me, that is happening. And and we are swinging back that way. So any impact in in Europe or in in England with the Sky Sports deal and and the premiership? Because that's a significant deal. That was just wrapped up. That is a significant deal. They they have it a little bit better over there, where the okay. broadcast is a little bit more robust there, and uh, you know Sky Sports has a, has a stranglehold uh, over there. Uh, so that I think is is maybe not a bellwether for North America. Okay. You know, it's, it's a smaller. It's, it's you know the UK is small and mm-hmm. relative to the US, uh, bigger than Canada, obviously. Uh, and also geographically, it's not as large. So there's just not as much of the kind of regionality. You know, all the EPL teams are all in the same area, whereas you're so spread out from time zone to geogra- geography in Canada and the US that it does present a, a slightly different challenge. Uh, and my last one for you, I, I'm old enough to remember when podcasts were a thing, but they weren't really populated by you know, recognizable names and, and things like that. And, you know, why would a media person leave media, you know, traditional over the air media to go to a podcast? Boy, are things about to swing back the other way? Uh, just a thought on the potential of Pat McAfee landing at ESPN and what the repercussions of that is. Yeah, it is. So to, to bring people up to speed. So Pat McAfee, right, quite famously, Hall of, uh, you know, uh, I think he was in the All-Star game this last year, actually, as a punter. Um, retired probably prematurely from the NFL. Some people would say because he had a disagreement with with the GM of the Colts at the time. But he was a, a great punter in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Pretty immediately got into the media business. He started doing some stand-up comedy and telling stories about, you know, Peyton Manning. Uh, he was quickly hired by Bar- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Barstool Sports had a successful podcast there, had a bit of a falling out with Barstool, went and decided to do his own show, the Pat McAfee show, really as a podcast, but podcast doesn't quite capture what it was. It was online video on YouTube. He's had about five or six different jobs since then. He did a deal with DAZN at one point. He had a deal with WWE. I don't know if that still exists. Uh, he was doing, I think, something with um, with with ESPN's College Game Day. So he's had kind of all these different media careers. But the big news was that a year and a half or so ago, he signed a you know hundred million plus dollar deal with FanDuel. FanDuel is going to title sponsor and pump a lot of money into his podcast and he's built this really big following probably one of the you know top two or three largest sports podcasts in the world just behind something like part of my take on or the bill simmons show for the ringer and for barstool respectively um rumors are is that he is unhappy with the fan duel deal um i don't think unhappy with FanDuel as a company or the deal per se i don't think anyone's unhappy with 100 million dollars but he's he's an owner operator he's running the business he's actually running a production company he's running production and he is if anybody's watched mcafee a great talent he's yeah. electric on oh, the yeah. mic. he's great about he's intelligent about football both college and nfl and i think that he's probably realized his skill set is best to be on mic and on camera as opposed to dealing with the operation of a media company where now he's got you know dozens of staff and a studio etc cetera, etc cetera. so rumors are that he you know he might be joining espn uh disney uh has their upfront period which is the big sales period next week in new york uh could it be announced by next week i would maybe if i was a betting man which i am put a little bit of money on that on FanDuel yeah. sportsbook um but beyond and and that's an interesting kind of story rob of a guy who when he finished in the NFL, there's no way he would have got a traditional desk job. He would not have gotten a job on a traditional ESPN show. Not Went out, chance. did it on his own, built a big podcast network, built a giant following so big that it couldn't be ignored, that FanDuel cut him a $120 million check. And then all of a sudden, uh, ESPN, who just laid off about 7,000 people, a lot of on-air staff, a lot of, yep. of quote-unquote legacy on-air staff that were not necessarily bringing in the audience, but being in the ESPN machine for a long time, they have a desire to get younger. They have a desire to reach that you know new online first fan base. And 
Pat might go do the whole cycle and go from digital all the way back to linear network. But I don't think that we'll ever see, and I don't think we're ever going to get a new just linear show launched in today's day and age in 2023. Nobody does a deal that's just online or just podcast anymore. If you have a podcast, you're looking to syndicate it onto a television or radio station. If you have a TV or radio show, you're syndicating it online and doing digital. And I think the walls have been totally broken down between online offline digital tv it truly doesn't even matter anymore it is just content and i think that good content creators people in the sports space are generally platform agnostic you know we want we know that fans are in different places so uh we want to be in those places and maybe it's on tiktok in short form and it's on twitter and written and some clips and it's on youtube and it's also on tv and it's on your sports betting app and it's in 10 different places but i do think that the modern media mix is is a little bit of everything everywhere as opposed to we're a tv show and then maybe you can watch it on tape delay and he would get the stephen a smith treatment right like he'd get the show but he'd also be put on their other properties at, at big times and and, you know, someone asked me the other day, said, why would, you know, someone texted me and said, why would Pat McAfee walk away from this FanDuel deal? Like, I mean, on paper, he's getting $120 million overhead for his studio, and he's got, I don't know, 10, 12 staff. Can't be very much. He must be putting a lot of money in his jeans. And he probably is. But there is something quite magical about, hey, we're going to be broadcasting the Super Bowl. How would you like to be part of a Super Bowl broadcast? We have Monday Night Football. How would you like to be on Monday Night Football yep. every week as an analyst? There is still something about the mothership, about ESPN, that is really appealing, especially for someone like Pat, who grew up in kind of peak TV era where ESPN and Dan Patrick, and you know, yep. it, it was it was where Sports Center is. Same with you know someone like myself, who you know, yep. traditional media still has that kind of place in your heart, and I think that there's a good chance Disney could probably pay him less than he's making right now, uh, and give him an opportunity to be in the Super Bowl broadcast on Monday Night Football, give him that Stephen A treatment where he is, you know, front and center on talk shows, but also in broadcast. Mm -hmm. And yeah, also give him probably about 10 million bucks a year in salary, which is not sure to swallow. Late night for him, do you think? Could he be on a could he be ABC's plan for a late night? Wow, that is an interesting question. I would actually love to see that. The last sports well, person who tried late night was Bill Simmons on HBO, which was a total flop. Yeah, Before but Craig that, Kilborn was good. Yeah, but Craig Kilborn, Craig Kilborn was, good. was good. Craig Kilborn was definitely good. And before that, um, there's been a couple other attempts. I'm trying to think of, of kind of. Well, John McEnroe had a show on CNB. McEnroe's had a, had a show, yeah. and well, Barkley's doing a show on CNN now, apparently That's too, right. where he's going to yeah. do going to do a news show. So, listen, I think McAfee on late night honestly could probably work if he had the stomach for it. Um, I would actually be interested to see that, Rob. That's an interesting idea I hadn't considered. Mm. Listen, this was so much fun. I appreciate you doing this, Adam. I, I love these check-ins because it's pa- it's a passion for me, and, and nobody does it better than you. So, I really appreciate you making some time for us today. Anytime, Rob. Take care. Thanks, buddy. There you go. Adam Seaborn, uh, as he mentioned, uh, from Playmaker Capital, which is uh, the owner of the Nation Network, and we're very proud to be part of this. Uh, he's their sports media analyst, and uh, if you're like me and you like the inside baseball, uh, he's a guy to follow. Speaking of baseball, we're going to get to that in a second. By the way, uh, Adam and our next guest, both brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, uh, 76 years in Calgary. Now, Ski, ski weather? No. Snowboarding weather? No. A little, you know, cool outside, which kind of maybe gets you thinking. 
Uh, is there still good deals on warm weather? Yes, there is. On, on things that are waterproof? Yes, there is. So make sure you check out their three locations, Ski Cellar Snowboard, Ski Cellar Snowboard. Uh, coming up later on this week, Danny Austin will join us on Friday. The Stampeders and the CFL are kicking off uh, the uh, preseason training camps. So Danny's going to check in with us on Friday, next Monday. Colin Patterson, Ryan Pike, and next Wednesday, Danny Austin hosts. Danny Austin will be your host. Uh, Peter Marr will be on that show. So, And then uh, coming up not too long from now, Craig Button, Mike Rogers. So we got some great guests, lots of hockey coming, but wanted to take this opportunity before the season gets too far down the road uh, to check in on some baseball. Uh, of course, well, we can't show you because it's over here, but Mike uh, Soroka, the Calgary kids uh, having great success, I believe down in AAA right now for Atlanta. We're all kind of waiting until he gets called up, but all eyes in this country, obviously swing to the Blue Jays. Our next guest brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Pleasure for us to, to say hello and welcome in for the first time, Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nation. And we can also find him at Oilers Nation. Cam, kind enough to spend some time with us to talk about the Jays. Mr. Lewis, how do we find you today? I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, but I almost feel like I'm a month late on this conversation. <laughs> I, I do usually like to set the table a little bit um, for a Blue Jays team that again comes in with a, a great deal of expectation, again comes in with an active offseason, and again, I would have said, comes in with questions in the starting rotation. Here we are, you know, six weeks in, playing Philadelphia again tonight, coming off an 8-4 loss last night. How do we assess the Jays' season so far? I think it's been positive. And to be honest with you, um, I mean, there's some anxiety that things aren't going as well as they should be, largely because of the starts you've seen from other teams. The reality is, like, as good as – and I mean, it's not, you know – blowing the wheels out the door here 21 and 15 the Toronto Blue Jays are but you have Tampa Bay the Rays yeah. sitting at 29 and 8 you have Baltimore the Orioles a team that didn't make the playoffs last year at 23 and 13 I mean I think it was the last time I saw it it was the top four teams in the American League East were the top six teams in Major League Baseball as well so as well as the Jays have been doing and it's been solid there's been so many other teams doing so well that it kind of gets in the way of feeling good about that early success unfortunately Let's talk a little bit about the early success. Um, Alex Manoa, I'm not sure we'd put in that category, but Kikuchi, we would. Like, I'm not sure anybody saw his start. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the Jays is the 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 starting pitching. You've been getting really quality stuff from Chris Bassett, who didn't mm -hmm. necessarily endear himself to fans with his first start against the St. Louis Cardinals. It was a bit of a mess, and there was quite a bit of anxiety about how he would do with the pitch clock, how he would do throwing his huge arsenal of pitches at new catchers. And then Yusei Kikuchi, too, as we know, last year it was really difficult for him. And Jose Barrios, very challenging season last year. But those three guys have been solid so far. Meanwhile, the ace, Alec Manoa, that's who everybody thought was going to be carrying this rotation. And he really hasn't found his groove yet. The velocity's down, and maybe there's some reason to worry. Has this young pitcher thrown too many innings at this point in his career? Well, for an old person like me, no, <laughs> because nobody throws too much anymore. But I get the I get the point. Let, um, let's let's stick with Kikuchi just for a second. Structurally, fundamentally, mechanically, anything that jumps off the page at you about about him this year? 
I think it's really between the ears, to be totally honest mm-hmm. with you. The, the bizarre thing about watching Kikuchi last year, and I, I think most people, most, most observers shared this sentiment, is it was stunning to see somebody with such good stuff, specifically a, you know, a left-handed fastball in the mid to high 90s, struggle so much. And it seemed like every bad start, that compound, that he came out the next time and was trying too hard, trying to compensate. And the exact opposite um, that we're seeing with some pitchers is that it looks like he might be having a good time now with the pitch clock. It seems like it's just allowing him now to just kind of come out and throw the ball, play catch with the catcher, let your stuff do the work, don't overthink it, don't get too much in your head. That's really what it seems like, because the stuff's always been there. He's been a successful Major League Baseball pitcher before. It just wasn't there last season. What uh, You mentioned it a couple of times. Let's talk about some of the innov- changes, innovations for baseball. Here we are again, six, six weeks in. Is the pitch clock still a thing, or have we moved past it yet? It feels like it's, it's, it's been entrenched in baseball now. It really feels like the shock wasn't as extreme as maybe it seemed like it would have been when we were talking about these rules changing in January, February, mm-hmm. at the start of sure. spring training. It, it seemed like it was going to be this huge, massive shock, but honestly, it's felt pretty positive. I'd say from the perspective of, and I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm only a 30 year old guy, so I'm not necessarily an old school guy, but yeah. I do like old school baseball. I like the national league. I like the pitchers batting. I haven't loved all of these changes per se, but I understand why Major League Baseball is doing them because you want to make the sport more watchable for those who are kind of half in, half out. And it's probably a bit easier now to justify to a friend or a colleague or whoever you're taking to watch a ball game. All right, this is going to move by quickly. It's going to be over in two and a half hours. There isn't going to be a whole bunch of time uh, between pitches. There's going to be consistency to the action. I think it's been positive. I'd, I'd say you have some instances where it kind of maybe takes away from the drama at the end of the game, maybe just a little bit, but all in all, it's set up the pace. I can see that, but I was, you know, kind of impressed. There was a double header here recently that was done uh, in shorter. Both games were done quicker than a, uh, you know, a a 10 or a nine inning game that the two teams played the year before. So you are starting to see some of that, right? So having said that and knowing the nature of baseball and sports, what are people bitching about now? They're not (laughs) bitching about that. What have they moved on to? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, I think there's still some there's still some frustration with the whole thing because everybody wants to see the strikeouts go down. Everybody wants to see the yeah. ball in play. Yeah. You want to see, yeah, you want to see the action. You want to see somebody smack a frozen rope into the outfield and then advance from first to third. And there's intensity. There's action. There's a a play at the play to play at third base. That's what people want, but. It's hard to force that. We're in a new era of baseball now where every team has 10, 15 guys in their system throwing 100 miles an hour. And you can load up a bullpen with all these guys with excellent arms, and there's going to be a whole bunch of strikeouts. And there's also so many hitters who their managers say, look, the analytics are telling you, sit back and wait for your pitch and hit a dinger. Even if you strike out, you're a, you're a, a true outcomes player. You know, swing the bat, take a walk, or strike out one of the three. So that's the one thing I think a lot of – people at major league baseball would have liked to maybe see changed more, but I'm not really sure you can force that. And they did, they did outlaw the shift. They did outlaw the shift. Yeah. Okay. So we should throw that in there too. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty significant, you know, rule changes for any major sport, right. Mm -hmm. You know, in one year, you know, usually the NFL tweaks with a little thing. This was, this was a fairly significant, uh, have, have we noticed an uptick? Are we are we seeing bigger crowds? Are we seeing bigger numbers on television? Is there? I mean, even the, what work that you do, do you see more interest because the game has made those changes? 
I don't know if it's been interest per se in the numbers because I don't know if it's been a large enough sample size just true yet. that's and the weather right yeah it's it's early yeah. in the season we'll see yeah. the best of baseball in but but that being said I think anecdotally just myself I went to mm-hmm. opening day in Toronto I, I flew from Edmonton with my fiance and we went with a couple of friends and there were a couple of friends who weren't really big baseball people but they were thrilled with the action um at the Rogers Center for opening day and bear in mind this also is the changes that uh, Toronto, the Blue Jays, have made to the Rogers Centre to kind of have more things going on. You're more in the action with those outfield, uh, little standing areas, drinking social areas. And they said, hey, this is the funnest Jays game I've been to in my life. Did you, Cam, did you go out there? Did you, I mean, I know you went to Toronto, but did you go out to those areas? Yeah, some of them I found, for me, they were a little bit too crowded. I, I don't, I don't okay. love a really packed crowd myself, but there yeah. was there's the areas now where they allow fans to get right down in the bullpen where the pitchers are warming up, and it's a blast to get down there and watch. It's really cool. It's, it's, I've been to a handful of Major League Baseball stadiums in my life, and my favorite ones are always the ones that allow fans to get nice and sure. close to really watch the players. You can, you can kind of have a different appreciation for the skill. Uh, and the ability of the players when you can get down that close. Like when you can see a reliever really throwing 100 miles an hour and what that looks like, it allows you to understand and appreciate baseball a little bit differently, I think. I think I, safe to say that I think the general manager, the president, you know, wanted to make a change in the offseason, wanted this team to kind of get away from long ball all the time, wanted to, you know, be able to take steel bases. And the, again, small sample size, but, you know, six weeks in, the fundamentals of this Jays team, are they different than the years past with this core? They're a very different looking team now than they have been in the past. That's that's definitely for sure. I mean, the offense is still there, especially when you've had the start um, that Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Matt Chapman have had. Those are yeah. kind of your main three, you know, big right-handed bats in your lineup that are doing the brunt of your damage. But you can see really with how much better the team is defensively, especially in the outfield. You have now that Kevin Kiermaier, Dalton Varsho combination out there. Mm -hmm. And that's a significant change from last year. There'd be, you couldn't play George Springer in center field every game. So you're winding up in Rymel Tapia in center field and Lourdes Gurriel in left. And no disrespect to those players, but they're not that good defensively. So if you have some guys on the Jays, some pitchers, say like an Alec Manoa, a guy like that, who allows a fair amount of contact, you really need your defense to be on point. And they're not perfect yet. They're pretty still inconsistent, but it's just mid-May. So, but it's been a pretty big change from years past. The, The defense and running on the base paths, stuff like that, have been a problem for this Jays team as they kind of move from being that young team with potential to being a true contender. And this is the first time this season that I've really felt, wow, the Jays are good defensively. This is the first time for me. Well, that's, as you mentioned, three guys that we want to talk about. Let's let's start with Matt Chapman first. Um, the, they, the, say what you will about the Jays. They have a knack of going out and getting somebody else's guy that's, you know, Springer or whoever that's leaving and coming in and, makes an impact um year one was okay year two was something else yeah it's it's uh <laughs> it's hard to imagine scripting a better pre-free agency season for a player than what what Matt Chapman's put up so far for Toronto he's got so far through 35 games a 349 batting average the OPS is up there at 1.033 yeah. 17 doubles already five homers <laughs> I, I, I'd say um, for, for Blue Jays fans, enjoy the season of Matt Chapman because I don't know. This might be the, the same that we saw with Marcus Semien a few years ago. Right? Amazing season, gets yeah. a huge bag of cash. That would be my expectation. But he's, 
he's he's earning himself an amazing deal here. Speaking of huge bags of cash, um, but some might say in a kind of a way, Bo Bichette maybe bet on himself a little bit this offseason with, you know, uh, with his uh, uh, restricted free agency and, and, you know, qualifying offers and everything leading the leading majors and hits, right? Like, I mean, he's come into his own, right? We can say that about Bo Bichette now. Yeah, he's um, it, it's it, it feels like just uh, recently, it was a few weeks ago that uh, he picked up his 500th career hit as a Blue Jay and he became the fastest ever to do so. The fastest previously were Shannon Stewart and Vernon Wells. They reached it in the same amount of uh, games and Bobachet cleared them like pretty easily. And it's yeah, it's yeah. shocking because those were those were two really good players. A young Vernon Wells was fantastic. Shannon Stewart right. was a great hitter. Bo's already got 529 hits for his career over 429 games. Like if if this guy sticks around, then we're talking about somebody who could wind up being the all-time leading Toronto Blue Jays hitter, which is really something. But like you said, the he 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 uh inked the three-year contract to avoid the arbitrations that walk him to free agency, but it's hard to say whether whether he's going to stick around long term or whether the team's going to back up the cash for him. They've they've locked a few guys up. They've been willing to do the free agency deals with like Springer, Kevin Gosman. They locked up Jose Barrios, but still still weirdly quiet about Bo and Vlad and their long term deals. Well, but they're not the same conversation, Bo and Vlad, right? Like we would agree on that. They're they're you know they're good young hitters and they're, and they're dynamic and they're a lot, but they're not the same conversation. No, they're they're really different players. And I mean, I think for the Jays, you kind of have to pick who's the face of your franchise, who's the one you really want to have around forever. It's hard to say if it's going to be both. You you look around and it's not every single team locks up their great young players like the Yankees, of course, just signed Aaron Judge to his huge deal. But look at the L.A. Dodgers. They let it would have been crazy to tell somebody five years ago that both Cody Bellinger and uh, Corey (laughs) Seager were allowed to walk by the LA Dodgers in free agency. And that's what happened. And um, Gavin's just saying in the back end here in our chat, uh, Gavin, the producer that the Yankees barely kept judge around. There was a whole bunch of talk that he's going to sign a deal with the San Francisco giants, even a report that a deal was made. So it's really hard to predict these kinds of things and what's going to wind up happening. I, I my gut has always been that it was going to be one of the two, and my gut has always been that you would keep Vladdy, and you would let Bo walk. Um, you know, you're you're evaluating. Here we are talking about his hitting stats, but as a positional player, y- you could improve that position defensively. Yeah, that's that's the difficult thing with Bo is we just talked about how good his offense is and what makes his offense even better is the fact he does it at short. So the, the, the Corey Seager situation is kind of a similar one where I don't know if LA was comfortable handing out a 10 or a 12 or whatever year deal to a player who maybe looks better at second base. And then if he is at second base, the hitting numbers aren't necessarily quite as important impressive you need your shortstop to be really strong defensively and i think bo has made a lot of strides in his game Mm -hmm. he's a much better defender now than he was when he came up which is natural you know players get better as they go along but it's it's hard to see that he's going to be a plus defender at short at any point in his career kind of feels like it's going to be a a talking point forever that he's mostly he's a, a, a a bat first player at that position besides the the big guns and the guys that are hitting right now we talked about Kikuchi who's who's quietly here in the start of this season gone about their business and and been solid and impressive well there's a handful of interesting um players who have contributed to the Jays in a depth role 
I don't know if Kiermaier, Kevin Kiermaier has necessarily been quiet. I think he's really, yeah, been, fair enough. Yeah. Really quickly endeared himself to the fans. Everyone I've heard this comment made tons of times. Everyone says it's shocking that he's only been here for a few months. Cause it feels like he's been a blue Jay forever. Feels right. like he's been here for years. And then you have someone like Whit Merrifield. They acquire at the trade deadline last year and, there was virtually zero excitement about that. People were saying, this isn't really the trade deadline we were looking for. Whit Merrifield, he's washed up. But then he goes and gets on base. Uh, what was it? Like the first 30 games of the season, consecutive streak of being on base every single game. And the lineup right now is a little bit thinner than it has been in the past. It's not the 2015 Jays. It's not the 2021 Jays. There isn't, you know, nine guys in your lineup where you're thinking, no. this guy can hit 15 home runs anymore. And to have a guy like... Um, Merrifield who's getting on base every single game so that your Bows and Vlads and Chapman can drive you in. That's huge. That's what they need from those bottom of the order guys. And he's not going to keep it up all year, but if they can just kind of rotate hot streaks at the bottom of that order, then they'll they'll do well. Kevin Biggio. It at one point it was these guys are coming. Bichette, Biggio, there's all Guerrero, there's all these sons of these incredible major leaguers. Somehow Cabin has kind of fallen behind it is, is this kind of the not the end of the road i hate to say that but you know it, could he be moved at some point would would he stay anymore do they they still have long time plans or long range plans for him yeah bgo is a tough one because he kind of got thrown into that mix with the other two and i mean Bo and vlad the whole way up where vladi was the number one prospect in baseball mm -hmm. for a while Bo was right there, too. He had some amazing results in the minors after being drafted out of high school. He was always up there as a top prospect, whereas Biggio, he, he played well in the minor leagues, but it was a different situation because he was a four-year college senior coming out of his draft. So the upside wasn't as significant, but he did yeah. kind of get lumped in with the group. And to his credit, he came up and he was really quite good for the Jays in 2019 and 2020 in the shortened year. And they've they've really tried to kind of find a role for him where he bounces around the field. He's supposed to be the left-handed bat that's not afraid to take a walk, have, you know, a, a long at bat, that kind of thing. But the batting just really hasn't been there. He's at a 143 batting average this season through 20 games, 200 on-base percentage. And he's getting closer and closer to free agency. So when you go through arbitration, you can earn some more money. The Jays might decide, hey, look, we've got some young guys who yeah. are league minimum dirt cheap we'd like to give him a shot cabin we wish you all the best it wouldn't be surprising to see that in the next year or so yeah yeah it, it, it yeah and then to a certain extent i think you're right i think he kind of got a raw end of the deal by being glumped in with those other guys right because they you know superstars yeah. um let's talk we talked about kikuchi we've talked a little bit about um you know pitching in general but what are you seeing from you know from this group uh, I know a lot of work in the last couple of years has been trying in that bullpen to, you know, to get the right mix. How do the, how, how comfortable are you with this rotation? How comfortable are you with this bullpen right now? Better than I've felt in the past. The bullpen has been a huge issue, issue for the Jays mm -hmm. for a couple of years. I didn't think, I honestly really didn't think it was that much of an issue last year going down the stretch, but then you get into that playoff game and you saw what happened and how yep. quickly it came unglued and you're, <laughs> wow, maybe it wasn't a good bullpen this whole time. It feels like it's better now. I, I think actually now that I think about it, a good answer to your previous question about who's kind of been low-key really good is mm. uh, the reliever they grabbed from Seattle in the Teoscar Hernandez trade, Eric Swanson, and this was not a popular yeah. trade at the time. Teoscar really, re was a really well-liked Blue Jay, as we all saw when the Mariners came to town. He got a huge applause. He got a big applause even when he hit a home run against the Jays, but Eric Swanson's been 
fantastic. 17 two-thirds inning, 1.53 ERA, 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been, I mean, you could even make the argument he's been their number one reliever, even better than Jordan Romano, which is really saying something because Romano's turned into a very reliable closer at the back of the bullpen. So I think the back of the bullpen looks great. The key is getting there. The key is yeah. going to be those sixth and seventh innings. There's there's some names there in the mix. Maybe it's, you know, Nate Pearson. Maybe it's another prospect who comes up, Ricky Tiedemann. Who knows? But there are, are there are arms back there better than better than in previous years, I'd say. So, so Tiedemann's hurt, though, right? And mm-hmm. for the next couple, what is Pearson's status right now? Pearson uh, right now is up at the big league club. He's only tossed five and two thirds innings with the major league team this year, but he's been quite good. He's only allowed one run. He had a really good outing in uh, in Boston in that terrible series that happened oh. with the Red Sox yeah, yeah. <laughs> where they got swept. And he was one of the few positives. He tossed two scoreless frames in relief in one of the games that might have been Barrio. Somebody only went like four or five innings and he looked really good. He looked 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 more confident than we've seen in the past because I, I feel like with that guy, obviously the stuff is there. He can throw 101, 102 miles an hour hour but you know so much time injured so so much time missed that he could have been pitching that I think all of that really gets in your head and there's a lot of pressure to kind of live up to your status as this great prospect but I think now that he's in the bullpen and the roles and the expectations have shifted a little bit I think I think that might make things a little bit more easy for him well I would hope so because you know the flip side is that is there is opportunity here he does not have the wear and tear in the joints that you know that a pitcher his age you know, what just naturally would have, right? You'd have to think that, you know, if he can stay healthy in the other parts that, that, you know, he, he's still got some tread on the tires. Yeah. And that's the thing I mentioned this about. Uh, it's kind of funny that uh, Alec Manoa is one year younger than Nate Pearson. Cause Alec Manoa feels like it feels like he's been around forever. He's already pitched. He does. Yeah. He's, he's got to be getting close to 500 innings in the big leagues by now. And I, I, I wonder like he's, he, it came on really fast and you get that dead arm. It's a thing that happens. So yeah, with a guy like Nate Pearson, there's hardly any, any innings under his belt. So he's got a lot of bullets and hopefully the Jays can utilize that and he can become a good multi-inning reliever. We talked forever since the Shapiro regime came over from Cleveland that the Jays one day are going to have their Andrew Miller reliever. We all saw it in 2016 with Cleveland. They had that reliever yeah. go pick up five, six, seven outs in the middle of the game. Nate Pearson used to be a starter. Maybe he can finally be that guy. Well, I mean, it, it's not unprecedented, right? That's... It's the story that's been told before. Uh, leaving this team and just looking around, I mean, Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. I, I It's black magic. I don't understand it. I, I, you know, I don't even know where you begin. But to be this close to June and only have single-digit losses is insane. Um, w- you know, at, at what point it's, – it's, it's May, but at what point do you start having the conversation, well, I guess we're in for a wild-card spot. <laughs> yeah, honestly um... – <laughs> It's 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 really frustrating to be a fan of a team in this division. And the whole the funniest thing about it is this might be the best day at least we've ever seen. And the New York Yankees are in fifth. Yeah. <laughs> the Red I know. Sox are in fourth. Those are the teams like you'd expect it to be upside down. The Yankees in first, Boston second, Jays in third. But I have no idea what Tampa Bay's got going on. Like they've always been a solid team, sure. great depth. Every yeah. Year. Yeah, great pitching. They have that um that that incredible depth. But to see what they're doing now is just is, is just insane though uh, and it's going to be a challenge because we don't have the same um strength of schedule as we did in the past it's not you know the american league east teams are all going to play each other 19 20 times it's only a handful of series now because of the balanced schedule so the jays don't have a whole bunch of games left against tampa to make up this ground there's only a few series so 
at some point it's going to be, you know, a couple weeks away from June. Tampa's already 7.5 games up on the Jays and the Jays haven't even been bad, but no, maybe that's just the way it is. It was, it was like that last year with the Yankees too. They had that historically good two months and then we're kind of meh, but yeah, even yeah. with being mad, no one can catch them. Yeah. Is there a, is there a style that is it's early, but you know, the Jays seem to be a little streaky, right? You know, win six in a row, going to Boston, lose. Then they went three against Pittsburgh, that type of thing. Is there a style of team that's giving them trouble? Are they, you know, or is it teams with, with multiple lefties? Is there anything that's you're picking up early on that, that seems to be tripping this team up? Yeah, the thing that stood out with the, the the series in Boston is it seemed like they were really struggling with the cold. That's what I saw a few people mention. I don't know if that's really it. I think the series in Boston, part of why that was so bad came down to, I bet that everybody on the Red Sox that played against the Blue Jays last year had that circled on their calendar because the Jays went 16-3 and against Boston last year. And they had a few games there where they just beat the wheels off the Red Sox. I think there was one that was, what was the final score, 29-7 to or 6? Yeah, with the, yeah. Yeah, with, yep. the, with the inside the park grand slam. Um, so I'd imagine if you're the Red Sox, you really had that circled and you really wanted to beat the Jays in that series. So... That's the worst series I've seen them. The first time where they look just just pretty hapless for the entire series since, you know, the very beginning of the year. But otherwise, it feels like they've been rolling along pretty well. It's it's not a good game every single day, but more often than not, they put the strong effort forward where they're executing. They're playing strong defensively. It's fine at bats. They get a quality start. It feels like it's more often than not, which is positive. The last one for you, and that has to do with the manager. Uh, not a new manager, but... Uh, the decision-making, which was for a while there was something that seemed to grab everybody's attention until they made the change uh, and got and moved on from Charlie. Uh, what are we seeing? Are we, you know, is this a well-run, well-managed team at this point? It's hard to say. It's um, I feel like we kind of we, we kind of overestimate um, the role that a manager can have mm-hmm. in a game when you're watching from the, the TV vantage point. Sometimes you think, oh, why didn't he use this reliever in this situation? But you don't necessarily know how that reliever is feeling, how good their arm is at that time. It's not always possible. But there's been some stuff where you kind of wonder if he leans into using certain guys too much, a little bit too much trust with certain guys and not enough trust in other guys. There were a lot of valid gripes last year during the playoff series when they blew that game, though. I mean, the microscope yep. is so extreme for a game like that, and so many things went wrong. But I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I, It feels like they're in better hands than they were with Charlie Montoya. It feels like, and I don't, I don't want to be critical of Charlie. I think he was good for the Jays at that time. They when they somebody, needed him. Yeah. 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 They needed somebody who was able to deal with younger players make it a calm environment for them to come up and learn the big leagues and now they have somebody who's more and you also mix in of course having don mattingly on the bench as well guy who's been around forever you have a little bit more of a rigid style which i think is going to be good for a team like this it felt last year like they kind of lost their focus at times and you wonder if that's what happened when they when they had that horrible loss in the playoffs was was your mind drifting were you focused were you ready for this and it feels like that's different now Good stuff. Cam, this was great. I'm hoping you'll agree to come back on. I, I, I'd love to continue the conversation as the season goes on. We can find you at Blue Jays Nation. We can find you at Oilers Nation. We can also find you as a contributor at Daily Faceoff. So thanks for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay. We'll talk soon. Cam Lewis, everybody. Told you. You can read them over at uh, Jays Nation. Uh, I I like doing that conversation. There was lots of baseball fans around. Um, 
you know, and, and quite honestly, you don't need this podcast to cover the Jays because I think we got two or three of them. But it, it's for me, it's good. Um, I like to keep my fingers in what's going on over there. Um, they're in a the Jays right now. I'm speaking of are in in this kind of position cycle spot, if you will, of are they or aren't they? You know, they've got the good young talent. We have this conversation. Um, we've got the, we, you know, we have this conversation with the flames all the time. You know, is this the core? What core? I think with Guerrero, Bichette, Kirk, you know, Springer, uh, Chapman, you know, Manoa, when, you know, when he's going Barrows, you know, this is a core and there's an expectation. And then of course the Tampa Bay race come and run away from you, but the, you know, we'll see. T- Toronto got them early on, by the way, uh new episode of blade blue Jays radio after each series. So that's how they operate over there. They're not silly like us. They do it in a methodical way. After every series, there is a new episode of Blue Jays Radio. Of course, uh, Cam brought to you by the Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Hey, if you're a hockey player, check out their snow skating. You can go online. You can Google it, snow skating. It's a thing, and it's a thing at Ski Cellar Snowboard that you should go and find out a little bit more. Yeah, maybe not right now, but for next fall, next winter, you might want to get on at skisellersnowboard.com. I uh, didn't get a, a big chance off the top, so why don't we take a moment and uh, go back and review a couple of the last days in hockey. Before we get to the playoffs, when last we spoke, it was Connor Bedard Day, and uh, we were all excited about the fact that the Calgary Flames could win the draft, move from 16 to 6, and then have uh, five teams pass on Connor Bedard. That's that's not going to happen. Now it would be 15 teams would have to pass on Connor Bedard. Uh, the Flames stayed where they were uh, most likely going to stay with just over 1% chance of moving. 16th, they will they will draft 16th. We had Ryan Pike on earlier in the week and uh, quite comfortable that they can get a, a, a good player. Um, and, you know, I already told you, I'm useless when it comes to making predictions. Defenseman, who knows? Go, uh, probably not a goalie, but you never know. Forward, yeah, likely. Um, what do they need in the organization? I, you know, if, if I was king of the world, I think you want a, a stud defenseman. Now with Valimaki out, um, you know, Shillington coming back, Poirier. So anyway, here's a mock draft from Stephen Ellis. He's got uh, Andrew Cristal coming to Calgary at 16, Connor Bedard going to Chicago, uh, and Adam Fantilli going to the Ducks. Um, interesting that the Ducks find themselves in second again. Uh, they went right toe-to-toe with Pittsburgh way back in, in 05 for Sidney Crosby. And Crosby, the ball ended up in favor of the uh, of, of the Penguins, as we know, and Bobby Ryan went to the Ducks. Uh, here's another opportunity, and, and you know, you're a runner-up. <sighs> 25% chance to the Blue Jackets. Those were the odds going in there. And, uh, well, this is what he could look like. <clears throat> Yes, I like that picture. If you're a Hawks fan, you got to love that picture. Uh, people in uh, the uh, Tinfoil Hat Brigade, uh, the the hockey edition, the hockey department, uh, very upset that they feel that uh, Chicago was given a gift. Um, I believe if you really want to know what happened, uh, Frank Saravelli was among a handful of reporters given access to the entire process, and he wrote about it at Daily Faceoff. Uh, if you want to read the behind-the-scenes I will go back and I can't remember if it was Peter Marr or somebody we were having a conversation with, um, but I, I'm a little surprised that 
Chicago and Jonathan Taves separated. They've moved on from Jonathan Taves. I, I think Taves may not play next year. Could, but may not. Um, but they had the final game, and and he, I believe he scored, and they gave him the big send-off. It, it, it sure seems to me that for one year, you know, if you're going to have Connor Bedard, I'd like to have somebody like, um, you, know, uh, you know, like Jonathan Taves. And, and having said that, you know, the, the, the Blackhawks have oodles and oodles of cap room. So they can go get a vet. They can go get somebody. Um, you know, I, I, when Dion Phaneuf was here, they asked him who he liked to watch. And they said Brian Marchment. And the Flames went out and got Brian Marchment. And um, he played with Phaneuf for a while. Um, you can do that, especially in the Chicago's case when they have that much that much cap room. So we'll see. Uh, you know, it's a fait accompli that he'll go to uh, he'll go to Chicago. So mu- much in the same way, like Edmonton had, you know, Gretzky Messier, and now they've got you know Connor McDavid and and Drysital. Uh, Chicago goes from Kane and Taves, and and now they're going to have you know Connor Bedard, and and who knows? Uh, they've got lots of draft picks. They've got you know young kids. Uh, no reason to think that they can't, uh, you know, find more supporting cast. Uh, so anyway, Chicago wins Connor Bedard Day, uh, the draft coming up in June. Two games in the National Hockey League tonight. Let's take a look at them before we wrap it up today. Uh, the one which will start first is in Florida with the Toronto Maple Leafs down three games to none uh, in Florida uh, against the Panthers. We were talking earlier with Adam Seaborn, uh, our sports media analyst. Um, not only is this heartbreak uh, for fans, uh, it will be a tremendous heartbreak for Rogers, as the Maple Leafs have been very good for business, uh, very good for ratings. Um, looks like Wall will get the start. Uh, Samsonov not available. Uh, but the story du jour is the fact that Matt Murray is healthy. The former two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins is healthy, but they choose to go with the rookie Wall in this case. A lot was made about um, the acquisition and the goaltending that uh, that the Maple Leafs did at the beginning of the year. Um, you got to think that uh, Dubas, whether he should, shouldn't, or whatever, it, it, it feels it's too trite to say, "Well, he's he's going to be gone after this," because it's a it's a guy's life. It's a human being. Um, but they gambled on the goaltending. I wouldn't say the goaltending cost them. They're, they're top guys. I think we got a graphic about this. But, you know, the the Marners and the Nylanders and the Matthews, you know, round one, look at that. You know, 34 points, 22 even strength points. And now look at this. Oh, Tavares is in there too. So Matthews, Marner, Tavares, and Nylander. No goals through three games. Four points. Um, you can, We can talk about the goaltending to the cows come home, but something tells me you're going to have to break up that group too. In a league with not a lot of cap room. In a league with not a lot of cap room. Um, the Edmonton Oilers at home tonight, uh, trailing in their series to the uh, Golden Knights, uh, two games to one. Uh, Laurent Brassois, the former Flames um, draft pick, never played for the Flames, but has been a very serviceable backup, was your starter in this series. And then he's out, and Aiden Hill comes in. Aiden Hill gets the win. Um, Hard for me to believe that the two generational offensive talents in the league right now in McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to be kept at bay by the third and fourth goaltenders in Vegas's depth chart. But here we are. Um, 
you know, Vegas is well-structured. They, they've got good players. They're well-coached. There's a lot of reasons to like them. Um, they've got semi-superstar power in Eichel and Stone and, um, and the likes. Um, was, I, was, I won't lie to you. I, I was a little bit shocked by the result in Game 3. Um, but that seems to be the M.O. right now. I mean, you know, Dallas scored six on Seattle in Seattle last night. And, and you know, Carolina scored six on Jersey in Jersey. The only series that has been tight from really from start to finish has been Toronto. And by tight, I mean two goals or less. Um, I, I fully expect Edmonton to bounce back tonight. Um, I still think they're the best team in the, in the NHL at this juncture, taking nothing away from Florida or Seattle or anybody else. Um, but again, begin before these games, before the second round started, I was talking about, Hey, it hasn't been since 89 that two Canadian teams clashed in a Stanley cup final. So it's ultimately it's my fault. Uh, I should have never brought that up. Um, but I am, I am, you know, I am very curious, uh, very curious about Edmonton and how they respond tonight. Um, and I know we all expect and we'll look at Dreisaitl and, and McDavid and go, go forth and do. And they will, but it's the other performers. Um, you know, the rising tides raises all ships concept. There's a lot of guys in that organization that have been hyped up and talked about and, and written about when there's wins. Um, but it seems to be just the two guys when there's losses. And now, you know, you expect the big guns to, you know, take off and roll with it. Uh, you know, uh, Gaff, thanks, Gaffer pointed out, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins still scoreless. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think that series could be going on for a while. I, I, I think Dallas, I don't know. I, I watch Seattle. I don't get it. I mean, I've watched enough hockey. I understand it, but I don't get it. Like, I, I look at Seattle. Okay, they... They remind me of more of an offensively skilled Minnesota Wild team from 2003, and, and anybody that remembers that team is rolling their eyes because it's not a really good, accurate um, interpretation of the situation. Uh, Dallas, I mean, with Ottinger, we saw him in that series against Calgary last year. The only, that series went to overtime in Game 7. That series probably should have been over in 5, but Ottinger wouldn't die. He wouldn't go away. And, and at times this year, he's looked like the best goalie in the league. And in this series, he's been leaky. He's been good. Um, you know, that's, that's a story, uh, league wide. That's a story. Uh, you know, mentioned Van, uh, Vancouver, Vegas, Vegas is now, you know, gone to another because of injury, Toronto, because of injury, Jersey's swapped them back and forth. Carolina swapped them back and forth. Uh, Lions started for Florida, but now it's Bobrovsky again. Um, you know, Grubauer and Ottinger have not. They've, you know, they've been pulled and and other guys have gotten in. Jones played last night too, but, uh, and Skinner came out for a bit in the series against LA, but uh, lots and lots of, lots of turmoil in goal. So we'll watch with great interest uh, what happens there. And we already have a team on the cusp in the sense of uh, the Devils uh, heading into Carolina, trailing three games to one, and just do not look like they're in the same class as Carolina. And I, I said it to Eric last Friday, Eric DeHatchuk, I call them killers. And then you get reminded of who's not in the lineup. Tara Vainen, by the way, I believe was skating today for Carolina. But Patch already, there's, you know, there's some pretty, uh, Spechnikov, I believe, is out. Um, 
there's some pretty significant missing pieces for that Carolina team, yet they look like killers. They just look like killers. Um, and if if Edmonton doesn't if Edmonton doesn't come out on the West, I'm you know, if people in Carolina turn off your your internet, shut off your computers, I, I would probably be riding Carolina at this point. But again, we established right off the top of this very podcast that my predictions are bogus. So don't listen to me. Uh, let's go home, shall we? The final mile, uh, quite a bit to talk about here today. Uh, let's start with something we talked about last, uh, last show, uh, fires up North. Uh, I work with a, a great group of, of, uh, people that, uh, support, uh, pets and their parent and their, uh, and, and their, you know, owners who are underprivileged or in crisis. And clearly they're in crisis. Um, got a huge donation today from pet value. Uh, so parachutes for pets is able to support, uh, people up North. Uh, and I guess we're bringing, uh, people and resettling them here in the me- meantime. Uh, it is unbelievable how dry it is in the forests up North. Um, we haven't really even gotten into lightning yet. It's a lot of this is man caused. Uh, we could be in for, if we don't get a lot of rain saying that in Calgary, so I think rain the last four or five days, but I'm talking about up North where a lot of these really, um, dry conditions, drought conditions, they're deep. Um, the dead wood, the tinder on the ground is dry. It's just ripe for big fires. And we're seeing that. So if you can help parachutes for pets who are helping uh, the, the people who are being relocated. And I, I believe on the weekend, the number we threw out on Monday was there were over a thousand plus pets that had, had been, you know, taken out of their homes with their their families and and they needed help in the shelters and stuff like that so that part is and again we just need to be you know good neighbors we just need to help uh there's going to be lots of cause to help uh this year so certainly want to um i certainly want to make note of that uh and finally i want to leave you with just a constant reminder i am going to beat this into everybody's head Uh, The power of sport, the importance of sport, the importance of inclusion, the importance that everybody should have a crack at being on a team, no matter what differences or difficulties or challenges they have. Um, Sport is the great equalizer. Sport is the great teacher. And and we all have a we should all have an equal opportunity to play. Uh, I speak openly and proudly of the greatest thing that I've ever been involved, which which is the superheroes program, which allows players with uh, cognitive and physical uh, challenges to participate in hockey. Today, I was invited by my young friend, Jace, who is a fifth year superhero player. Uh, He's out in Chestermere and through hockey and through playing. Uh, he's become somewhat confident and able and he volunteers and Jace volunteers for the Chestermere fire department as part of the emergency services out there. And he invited me out to the open house and I got to see Jace and he toured me around. Uh, he volunteers there a couple hours every week and, and helps the firefighters and, and, uh, he's just giving back to his community. So Jace brought me out and he showed me the, the hose and this was terrific. And I want to thank him and his mom for the invitation. Um, not only are they participating in sport, but they're giving back. And then kind of this past weekend, we had our first, thanks to the Calgary Flames alumni, we had our first ever Superheroes Banquet. So all three teams stepped up. And speaking of, of fifth-year players, um, Samantha, 
uh, spoke to the crowd and she went up, she wrote a, a speech and she thanked all the volunteers and she thanked all of her coaches. And she just was a handful of uh, young people that came up and spoke. But again, to see the confidence in this young girl, to watch her for five years and know that sport has played a role in that. She's a swimmer. She competes in Special Olympics. She loves hockey. She loves the Mount Royal University Cougars and is really excited they won a women's national championship. Um, but again, six years ago, kind of on the outside looking in. Uh, so just the power of sport. Yes, we can be angry at the Flames, and yes, we can be angry at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we can live and die with the results of the Edmonton Oilers, and the Blue Jays may break our hearts. And at that level, absolutely. But never, ever forget how important being active and being part of a team and being given the opportunity to be part of a team is. So again, kudos to Kevin Hodgson and the Heroes program for putting that program on. Kudos to Kids Sport and the Calgary Flames Sports Bank for doing what they do and the Flames Foundation and everybody else, the Cavalry, the Surge, um, you know, the universities, the, the Canucks. Uh, we have a great community. We have Olympic athletes. Are we perfect? Nope, we're not. Can we be better? Yep, we can, but we've got the will here and we've got uh, a very special story we're going to share on Saturday, on Saturday, on Friday uh, about the Special Olympics too. So we're going to give that a little bit of time. As I mentioned, uh, Danny Austin will join us on Friday. Uh, next Monday, Colin Patterson in studio from the Flames alumni, as well as Ryan Pike, the latest on the NHL playoffs and the Flames. Next Wednesday, I won't be here, but Danny Austin will be hosting and he's got Peter Marr on the show. And a week from Friday, a week from Friday, how about this double-decker of hockey goodness? Uh, our old friend, uh, and I, geez, I'm trying to remember the last time that Craig Button and I did an interview together. It's got to be going on 15 years. He's going to join us. Craig Button's going to join us, and Eric DeHatchuk will join us. Gavin, thank you so much for all your help today. Mark Prince came in and saved the show. You'll never know about it, but he's God's gift to producing, and we thank him for that. But it's you guys, once again, that I want to tip my hat to. It's always a pleasure to work for such a great crew. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you rate it, share it, and, and come back again. We'll be here on Friday. Have a great day, everybody. When there's two sides to every coin, then there's a conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry Get off my lawn you snowflake Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown Cause this is my hometown so back down Sports clown, it's all just a game Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.